welcome, <laughs> welcome to Monroe a Live Podcast. And uh, I'm here with Pete Gruber. And um, <laughs> we, <laughs> we had a few technical uh, issues. Um, um, at first, I was thinking maybe Pete went deaf on me, but no, it was the... Uh, it was the headsets. So, Pete, welcome to Monroe Live you know, Podcast. I I am honored to be on the Monroe Live Podcast. Excellent. Um, yeah, we had technical issues. And, you know, our technical issues always occur at the 11th hour. And uh, so we stayed with that program. Yeah. And while we were uh, not able or I couldn't hear Sandy, he could hear me, I, uh, for a brief time, considered doing lip reading. And I told Sandy uh, that I was actually pretty good at it as a kid. Uh, the reason being is I grew up very poor and we didn't have a television until I was 11. And the TV that we finally ended up um, uh, with, by the way, I got a terrible echo. So if I chop once in a while, it's my, it's what's going on in my head. So, um, we found a television that someone had thrown out, and we're talking about one of these big wooden ones with the big CRT screen, and couldn't quite figure out why they threw it out, but we were happy to find out when we got it home and fired it up, there was a picture, but no sound. So for a couple of years or so, I was watching all kinds of television with no sound and learned to read lips. And my relatives were fascinated and amazed that I could sit there enthralled with the program, completely in tune with what was going on. But I think I lost that skill because while I was watching Sandy, I couldn't tell what he was saying. It's the mustache. But, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, uh, <laughs> Pete and I share a lot of common things. As a matter of fact, he sent me some pictures from Germany of his, uh, his uh, uh, aunt. Who, how old is she? 97 year old. Yeah, 97 year old, Melita. So <laughs> she looked so much like my mom. My mom was born in Germany, uh, Schwabia, down south, just like, uh, just like Pete's uh, mom and dad, I think, an aunt. And uh, when he sent me that picture, I, I lost my breath for a minute. I mean, she looked so much like my mom. Uh, it, it, it is incredible, absolutely incredible, but... I think that had something to do with the inbreeding in Schwabia. I could be wrong. <laughs> but anyways, uh, uh, we also shared the fact that um, we both grew up uh, um, cash-challenged, I guess is a good way to yeah. – if we didn't grow it, we didn't need it. That's the way it was at our house. And a TV was just not in the cards. So we used to go down. We'd walk to the uh, Pilet Corners uh, – which uh, was where the bus stop was, which was about a mile and a half away from our house. And we would go and look in the window at the TV store. There was a store that sold TVs, and we looked in the window and watched TV. Could you hear nothing? Right. Nope, nothing at all. But it was just absolutely amazing. It was like the movies with no, with no sound. Um, and we did right. that for years. I mean, it was a Saturday afternoon kind of event. And uh, like as soon as, as soon as the TV store shut down, they still left the TV on, and uh, and we weren't alone. I mean, our neighborhood wasn't wealthy, and uh, and we would go down and watch TV, uh, different things that they had on, and go, wow, this is just amazing, amazing. Too bad they didn't have sound for this thing. It'd be, <laughs> I mean, that would really take off. Yeah, so uh, you know, we had one of those we had one of those TV stores in our neighborhood as well. Yeah. And it didn't matter what the time of year was, if you were going to watch TV through the glass, you know, silent, yeah. uh, that's what that's what some people did. But I remember when the first color TV came out and they put one of those behind the glass and people just flocked. Yeah. Everything was black and yeah. white, you know, in the 60s. Right. And uh, yeah, that was a huge event. Yeah, I can remember uh, I can remember when color TV showed up. And, um, and I mean, we, I'd, I'd guess there'd be maybe, uh, maybe three or four families when it was black and white, when it came color, holy mackerel, you had to elbow your way into the front of the, I mean, it was really, it was really quite, quite, uh, the, it was a huge deal. 
and they were super duper expensive. You could buy a car or a TV. It was really, uh, it's really, uh, people don't even believe me when I tell them this, this kind of stuff, but, but it, it, it really truly was a marvel when they brought out uh, color television. It was, it was a big deal. Yeah, now, now, now my cell, <laughs> my cell phone took the place of my encyclopedia, which we only had half of. We didn't have the whole damn thing because it got to be so expensive. My dad said, oh, that's it. Uh, you can go up to M. That's it. Yeah, it if it's beyond M, you, you don't need to know anyways. Now I've got a, I've, I've got, uh, you know, I got a cell phone that'll tell me anything, anytime. Homework? Hell no. I could just talk to my, uh, my cell phone and it would tell me what the answers were. Even serious right. stuff like, uh, like calculus and whatnot. It's amazing how things have changed so much since I was young. I mean, uh, it's staggering how much technology is uh, is in the marketplace now. So, and there are two types of salesmen that would come to your house: the Kirby salesman and the encyclopedia salesman. Right, that's exactly right. So, so for those who don't know what Kirby is, um, there was actually two kinds of. Well, we had Fuller Brush and Kirby, and um, and either way you're going to buy something. He sat down with your mother and they talked about, I don't know what, my mother would dish out apple pie and, uh, they and would talk, Sandy, they would talk about how dirty your house was. Exactly. And you know, most housewives became so concerned. They actually bought the thing yeah. and that was their, yeah. you know, they would take their vacuum cleaner. They would run over where you've already vacuumed with yours and yeah. find all kinds of dirt. Now, whether right. that was staged or not, I'm not sure, but there was a lot of additional dirt that usually showed up. Yeah. I remember. Well, I remember when uh, the Kirby guy didn't get so far with my mom because she was like you know, fanatically clean. But when the yeah. rainbow, when the rainbow vacuum cleaner came out, so this is a, this a, this is a vacuum cleaner that basically has a filter which is water. It uh, uh, it would suck up the dirt, go into this uh, water chamber and spin around. And you'd go, holy mackerel, look at that. It's mud. How in the heck did that happen? And my mom bought right on the spot. And it was expensive as well, but she didn't care. As far as she was concerned, dirt was her enemy, and, uh, and that was that. So Kirby vacuum yeah. cleaners and Fuller Brushman and, uh, and, uh, and what do you call it? And the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, they were, they were even in where I lived, where it was a... We had a mud road. We didn't, uh, or gravel road. We didn't have a, we didn't have a real street. It was in the county. It wasn't paved. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So Very anyway, cool. now that we've done reminiscing, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, a little bit about um, your situation. Uh, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Pete had uh, a couple of serious fires, and I'm looking in the background. Hopefully, that's a picture of your new place. And uh, and you bounced back like an Indian rubber ball. It's amazing, uh, absolutely amazing. So why don't you give us a little you know, there background were, there? Yeah, we um, in 2014, I bought a Tesla Roadster, and uh, I wanted to go 100% battery electric vehicle. My wife and I both had Priuses, and uh, that kind of got me thinking about how cool it was to drive a car on an electric motor. So I got a Tesla Roadster, and um, it took me about six months to a year to figure out that the technology in this Tesla is identical to the equipment that we've been repairing for 35 years at that time, which is critical power equipment, three-phase inverters, lighting inverters, things that keep a data center up and running when the power goes out. It's got a battery system. It's got a three-phase inverter. And what it keeps running is all of the computers in a computer room or a data center. Well, the cars do the same thing. You've got a battery system. You've got a three-phase inverter. And it powers a three-phase AC induction motor. So once we figured that out, we decided, you know what? Let's see if we can attract a clientele repairing Tesla Roadsters. And the first customer that came along was facing a $10,000 power electronic um uh, the um, uh, the PEM replacement in his Tesla Roadster. Wow. And uh, he came to us and said, you know, uh, Tesla says it needs to be replaced. And we said, you know what? We can fix that. So he sent it to us from the Bay Area. We fixed it for $2,300. 
and completely rebuilt it to boot. We changed all the contactors and electrolytic capacitors. And so um, the word spread quickly that we're able to repair roadsters. And that's really how Gruber Motor Company got started. What you see behind me there, and I don't know if the audience can see the full shot, but we took a, a wide angle uh, shot of our uh, service center. And uh, there are about 50 roadsters in this single building alone. Now, the fires that we've had, <clears throat> May 5th of 2017, we were learning how to work on Tesla Roadsters, and we were um, experimenting with the 1,000-pound batteries, trying to get brick batteries or dead batteries back to life. And we learned a lot, but we ended up overcharging a 1,000-pound battery pack, and it caught fire. And uh, what was amazing was how quickly that thing ignited and then sent eight-foot flames coming out of the top. And, uh, of course, it caught the building on fire. Fire department showed up. They tried foam, CO2, water, couldn't extinguish it, and finally said, we have no idea how to fight this fire. We've been trying to call Tesla, but no one's answering the phone. So we're going to back away and uh, let this thing torch. So we stood there for about three hours or so just watching all kinds of fire and flames and explosions inside because we had seven Tesla Roadsters in this building with a Model S and some other EVs. Um, so that was 2017. Well, you kind of think, you know, you get uh, hit with lightning once in your life and you're done with that, right? Well, in 2021, we had a second fire in a building that had replaced the first service center. And this time, it was a different cause. It appears to have been the electrical panel caught fire. And, um, you know, there were no sprinklers in that building. Not that sprinklers would do anything in an EV fire anyway, because there's just too much energy and too many flames, and it makes its own oxygen. Um, so we had a second fire. And, you know, by that time, a lot of people might have thought that we would give up. Well, that's not in my DNA. And we had so many people in the community that begged us to continue to operate because the Tesla Roadsters are a very unique vehicle, and it requires a lot of um, esoteric expertise to work on them. And the majority of that expertise has been flushing out of Tesla now for you know, a decade or more. So companies like us are absolutely vital to keep these cars alive. And I got to tell you, there were a few times that I considered hanging it up and thinking, you know, we got other businesses. We don't, we don't have to do this again. But um, I'm glad that we did. We now have the largest building that we've ever had. That's about 18,000 square feet. And um, we learned a lot about how to build an electric vehicle independent service shop with three attempts. And uh, what we have now is best practices, including a battery bunker. So if we ever do have a problem with a battery going um, uh, ballistic on us or igniting, this is going to be completely contained and away from the cars that are in the service center. Mm. So that's a short story. Yeah. Well, we actually have a battery bunker here as well. Uh, it's a caged area, mm -hmm. and, um, and it has fire suppression and all the other kind of stuff. But when we're discharging or charging batteries... <laughs> We have a parking lot, um, and um, and believe me, it's amazing how fast we can yank a battery out of the inside of the Monroe and Associates into the parking lot, and uh, if it wants to go, it can go. It's, it's People say, oh, well, batteries are dangerous, and blah, blah. You know what? Mm, can of gasoline is uh, pretty dangerous as well. We, we just have to take precautions regardless of whether we're working on ice vehicles or or uh, or evs you just these things are dangerous they're always going to be dangerous they they contain energy uh they're no different than um anything else you you just gotta you know you gotta live with it now we've been very very lucky uh, knock on aluminum and uh and we haven't had we haven't had any fires um uh, we've actually, we've got uh, a contract now, I guess. Uh, it's it's either a contract or it's in the process of being a contract. And we're going to be training first responders on what to do when you have, uh, when you have basically a battery fire. 
um, it's it's amazing how little the um, the fire departments know about these kinds of things. And as time goes by, there's going to be more and more of them. But quite frankly, uh, um, I, I came home from the airport one time. Um, it would be about it was in it was in the winter time. I can't remember the time, but anyways, we're coming home and uh, and uh, there was me and one of the other guys from Monroe here and and we're driving along and and here's a car fire uh, like a gas uh, powered vehicle on fire at the side of the road and uh, wow I don't see that very often. Next thing you know, there's another one. <laughs> By the time we got home, there was four of them. Then I find out that what had happened was somebody had dropped something like a, like a bunch of boards or something like that. And they were running over these things. And um, ultimately, they wound up catching their cars on fire. So I was, in a, I was in a Tesla Model 3. We were coming back from the airport. We didn't. We didn't get anything. I mean, I know we ran over a 4x4 four four or something, but it was just a boom, and that was the end of it. So a lot of this has to do with the luck of the draw. Some of it has to do with um, uh, just the fact that, you know, you, you can't afford a slip, regardless of whether it's gasoline, dynamite, or, uh, or, uh, or a battery pack. You know, we had an interesting... Um experiment about a year or so ago. In fact, you guys commented on it in one of your uh, podcasts, one of your videos. We were approached by a graphene battery manufacturer oh, yeah. that was making graphene pouch batteries, and they had asked us to uh, develop a proof-of-concept vehicle demonstrating that graphene battery packs could work in a Tesla. Well, on the surface, it sounded uh, doable. Um, there was a bit of engineering involved with firmware and, uh, you know, re, um, reprogramming it to accept this different uh, battery chemistry and charge characteristics. But um, <clears throat> they have a promotional video where they took one of these graphene pouch batteries and they hung it on a backboard at a shooting range. And they put a meter on this uh, graphene battery pouch and then began firing nine millimeter rounds into the pouch, demonstrating that it, it did not ignite and that the voltage remained somewhat constant, even despite the fact that they were puncturing it, which is typically one of the things that ignites uh, one of these lithium ion battery packs. So the point there being is there are better technologies that are going to be coming down the pike that are gonna make these batteries less volatile uh, you know, lithium iron phosphate, for example, does not have the same kind of, uh, you know, fire risks. And uh, eventually, my prediction is we're not going to carry 1,200 pounds of DC storage batteries around with us anymore in our cars. We're going to have something better and uh, smaller and uh, more efficient. And then, of course, this is usually the time when Jesse over there chimes in and talks about fusion. Is this one of those times, Jesse? Fusion, fusion is on its way. Really? <laughs> yes. Well, okay, so uh, little known fact uh, about Monroe is um, uh, we're working on two nuclear power um, uh, projects, and um, both of them are mobile, and both of them um, and both of them use um, um, uh, well, they, neither one of them use uh, use uranium. Both of them use thorium. And and quite frankly, these these two uh, products look like remarkably safe to me because if you do get into a situation like uh, the truck rolls over, they, like I say, they're mounted to a truck, uh, they're mobile, and uh, if the truck rolls over or something like that, anything that disturbs these things in the fuel rods immediately break away. They they fly away. They have their own. Um, they have the, they have a charging unit, and when they're close, yeah, they're they're going to give off a tremendous amount of heat. But because they're in molten salt, as soon as they pop apart, the salt solidifies, and that's the end of that. No, nothing happens. It takes quite a bit to get them charging again, or get them moving again. But the big thing here is how do we make it so that we don't we don't get meltdowns and stuff like that. So we're we're still. Um, you know, we're still working on these kinds of things, but 
I believe that uh, fission and fusion will start taking a place of, um, you know, in, in areas where it's cold half the year or um, there's no wind or something like that, that, that that's going to be... Uh, it's going to be something that's going to be able to help out. And, and quite frankly, it's absolutely brilliant for, for uh, um, defense kinds of projects because, quite frankly, the number one worst job, most deadly job in, um, in any kind of an action is driving a fuel truck. That's the first thing that every, everybody that's got a missile or, or an aircraft, that's the first thing they want to target. So this way you could, it would look like a box truck going down, the, down the, the highway. No one would care. And if anybody did fire on it, it would roll over and that would be at the end of that. You got a brick sitting there. It doesn't do anything, nothing. So I'm, I'm really thinking that we're going to be looking at lots and lots of different uh, modes for getting, us, uh, for getting us the power we need. Mm. What do you think of the Aptera vehicle? Well, Aptera is a customer of ours. So um, I believe that uh, when they say that, the, you know, if you're down south, if you're below the Mason-Dixon line, um, if you buy anything else, you're, you're like a fool. <laughs> Maybe you just like spending money because uh, really and truly, you shouldn't, need to, you shouldn't need to spend any money on that car. If, you, if you're just driving it to work and back, the solar panels that are on the roof, the IP, the deck lid, I mean, everything is, uh, it, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't really need to charge it at all. It should be able to get everything off the sun. And if you did have to charge it, the battery is fairly, it's a fairly small battery. So yeah, yeah, they're saying about a forty-mile range, and the average yeah. commute in the U.S. is under forty miles. So yeah, you're yeah. right; you'd never really have to plug in. Right, and and so I'm a big, big fan of solar. I'm a huge fan of Aptera. I make no bones about it. I I invested in them before mm, about the same time that everybody said Aptera. Oh, you don't want to do that. Oh, Aptera. Oh, they went bankrupt. Okay, um, I went and talked to Chris and Steve, the two guys that run the show there. I didn't see anything but um, roses and sunshine, so I, I cheerfully gave them money. Um, and, uh, and then later on, when they needed help, uh, they became a customer. They're still a customer, actually. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of Aptera. I think that what we need is more Aptera-like projects where... We, right. we expand the horizons, push the envelope uh, a little bit bigger, a little bit wider. So, and actually, that's one of the things I was going to ask you about. What's the chances of, uh, of making, um, maybe converting uh, one, of the, one of the Teslas that you've got into a solar-type uh, vehicle? What do you think? Well, uh it would be pretty crude because uh, we would uh, have to mount, uh, you know, solar panels on the car um, unless we re-engineer and redesign and actually create something that's the shape of the car. Um, I'm personally still waiting until the, um, uh, the density of the solar panels gets to a point where we've got more energy coming from that, from that uh, you know, surface area. Now, the thing that excites me, though, Sandy, is... Uh, photovoltaic paints. Oh. Now, you're going to have to paint your car anyway, right? Yeah, exactly right. So about 15 years ago, we had a guy come in, a Chinese guy come in, and he was pressing this stuff, and I was on this like white on rice. And uh, But he had some family issues, his wife, uh, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, he committed suicide. <clears throat> I have no idea where that went. But if you can um, if you can make something happen with photovoltaic paint, uh, I'm I, I definitely would like to know more about that. Is that something? Is this the secret that you're going to tell us about here? Or, uh? <laughs> no, we're we're not developing photovoltaic paint. Oh. Um, but you know the other thing that we're excited about is this um, uh, the the induction coupled charging. You know, for example, yeah. there are um, uh, some countries now where they're burying coils in the roads, right. yeah. and you're charging while you're driving. Um, the questions are going to be: How are they going to monetize this? Are they going to have toll roads now where you have to pay in order to drive on something that's going to charge your car? 
And then you have other interesting engineering problems or challenges like, what if your car doesn't sit low to the ground? You know, you got a lifted truck, you're not gonna get much of a charge. So it looks like the low riders are gonna get the best uh, bang for the buck with this type of charging. But, you know, um, there, there's so many things on the horizon uh, that are exciting. But the question I wanted to ask you is, what do you think of in-wheel motors? Well, uh, a lot of people have tried. Um, I know Aptera moved away um, because they just couldn't get them. Um, uh, Lordstown, of course, they, that was their big key to the future, and uh, that, uh, that didn't work out. I know that they're working in uh, China. Uh, Protean has some stuff uh, that's um, working over there. Um, but it's been unlucky. I, I see the advantage. Uh, there's a lot of advantage to going to uh, an in-wheel an, an in motor. Um, I mean, it, uh, all that stuff about, oh, well, what about uh, centripetal, centrifugal forces, and, you know, um, it'll be torque-steered and stuff. I, I've driven uh, four or five different, uh, different vehicles that have utilized the Protean ones anyways, and um, I did not find it. And the truth be known, I, I'm a big fan of going fast, and um, I, I like to see if it's possible to flip a car over. And when they said, oh, yeah, don't have, go ahead and do anything you want. Well, I did take um, a, um, a, a Protean vehicle. I can't remember. I think it was a Mercedes, a white Mercedes uh uh, something I can't remember. Anyhow, I took that thing and I was doing 85 miles an hour on the on and off ramps here. We have a little clover leaf, two clover leaves that are real close together, and it gives me the opportunity to try things out that you know at the appropriate time. But uh, gives me the opportunity to try things out that I would never dream of uh, doing. You know, in a in a real traffic kind of situation. So for us, mm -hmm. I, I loved it. I mean, it went fast, not as fast as a Tesla, not as fast as uh, 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 like a, like a Mach-E or whatever. I, not that fast, but plenty fast nonetheless. And it handled brilliantly. I, I didn't uh, feel, I didn't feel uh, in jeopardy anytime, so. Uh, you know, you had mentioned, I think in one of your other uh, videos, you really like that Ford F-150 Lightning. Yeah. What is it you like so much about it compared to some of the other products out there? Well, first off, there's nothing like it, period. Um, it's the best work truck ever. Now, I, you know, I also like the Rivian. Uh, I like the Model 3. I like um, a whole bunch of other uh, different electric vehicles. I, I mean, I've, I've uh, stood up and said, hey, if you don't like Tesla, go and buy a going by a Mach-E or, or going by, a, you know, uh, one of the Polestars or whatever. But, but, uh, but for me, um, there is nothing that has ever been or ever will be as good as, uh, as, good as the F-150 Lightning. The thing is just indestructible. I mean, our guys use the Lightning pretty much every weekend. As a matter of fact, Eric is going to be uh, you know, he's the, normally the guy here, but his mother had some issues and uh, crashed her car or somebody crashed into her car. Anyway, he's going to be using it for the rest of the week and he's happy as a clam. I've got other guys that have horse, uh, that one guy's got a, his daughter is into horses. And on the weekends when he has to go to these different, I don't know what they do with horses, jump around or something. Anyways, he, um, he uses that and he tows this monster sized trailer. You can put uh, you put two horses in it, but it's also uh, like a like an RV in the front. Uh, you you uh, so, anyways, he's using that almost every weekend. Um, he he puts his name at Monroe. You can if we own a car here, um, you're allowed to use it. That's just the way it works. A uh, little company benefit, but uh, but uh, yeah, um, Jim. Jim Blocker's his name, and he um, he's he's been using it a lot. And he parks it right out in front of his house because everybody's like, ah, you never get with that electric car, you know. Well, 
Guess yeah. what? He loves it. Going up and down hills around here, piece of cake. And uh, and yeah. quite frankly, it's within a hundred miles of his house or something. Two hundred miles, no big wow. Even with towing that uh, that whatever the heck it's called, the horse trailer RV thing. Yeah, he loves it. So uh, plenty of power. Um, uh, yeah, like I say, you go uphill, you lose uh, you lose energy. You go downhill, and it's free. Woohoo! You uh, you get to the bottom of the hill with about. Uh, you don't get everything back, but you get a good portion of it back, maybe 60% back. It's, it's like, amazing. There's a stretch for us here going into San Diego from Arizona where uh, you're uh, starting to go downhill for about 10 miles. Yeah. And uh, your your range does not decline one bit for a full 10 miles. Of course, what it took you to get up there is yeah. what you basically yeah. sacrificed, you know. Yeah. But, you know, we, we, we have a customer that uh, just bought a Tessa Roadster, and this, again, speaks to the enormous torque that's available in these little cars. He's been a Miata owner now for years up in the Bay Area, San Francisco, right downtown. And he said, you know, that Miata struggled going up some of those hills. <laughs> he said, I got this Tessa Roadster now, and this thing yeah. is like a rocket going up these hills. Yeah. Well, I somebody told me about uh, somebody took a Roadster, maybe it was you, uh, took a roaster up a uh, lumbar the 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 J, the you know the switchback street, um, and um, I thought it was damn thing was closed, but apparently at two in the morning, I guess there's nobody nobody to tell you no. Anyways, he took it up there and he said it was phenomenal. And normal cars, I mean, you had to pull over to the side of the road or something every once in a while to uh, let the car catch up or something. Uh, was that yeah. was that you that told me about that the lumbar thing? No, no, it wasn't me, but I can relate to that. Yeah, uh. I made the mistake one time of renting a uh, four-speed Mustang in San Francisco, and didn't realize a lot of those stop signs are on serious inclines. Yeah. And if you're not used to the car and you're working a clutch, you know it gets pretty scary at times. And stinky too. <laughs> they burn up. Well, they yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the Cybertruck, what are your thoughts about, I know you're trying to buy one and, uh, you know, yes. you guys do it a little bit different than we do. We don't see the, the in warranty cars for some time. So most of the stuff we work on is the legacy stuff like the Roadster and then the Model yeah. S now and the Model X, but you actually get the new stuff and you're able to tear it down. Yeah. How close are you to getting one of these Cybertrucks now? Uh, not close enough. <laughs> I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to find somebody who's got uh, a low number that actually has got notification that it's coming. Um, I really, really want one of these things. Um, uh, we we do have uh, huge competitors. One's from India and one from uh, France, and uh, they have billions to toss around. I do not have that kind of money, um, but I'm I'm. I'm really, really trying to get my hands on one. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be texting one of the guys out in Austin uh, to see if uh, see if we can maybe get something going with him. I'm uh, I'm uh, I really, really want to get one of those. And a matter of fact, we did a little uh, very short um, Monroe Live YouTube a second ago, or not a second ago, this morning. Uh, talking about uh, some some pictures that were taken underneath the uh, Tesla Cybertruck. Apparently, it was on the side of the road from uh, electric, and um, and we did a little look at it. But it's not. There's nothing really extraordinary. Um, if you squint, you uh, there is one thing. Of course, it's got uh, all-wheel drive. So, or sorry, four-wheel drive. So, or four. It's it uh, it's it steers from the back and the front. I've forgotten what that term is, but anyways, um, so that that was kind of interesting to see how they put that together. But the rest of it looked uh, pretty much the same as what you'd find on a, on a Lightning or um, or a Ram. A Dodge Ram has air suspension systems, or the Rivian. It looks similar, except that they really uh, beefed up the uh, like where your air suspension. Um, uh, uh, bellows are they've they've put a great big giant stainless steel pipe to make sure that you don't smash uh smash your suspension system 
when you're going off-roading. So I really appreciate that. Plus, they've got some, um, it looks like carbon fiber uh, crash shields to make sure that if you bump into something, it's going to take out a part in the suspension that you'd really like to keep. So yeah, it looks pretty good. I, I, I have five on order, which I'm willing to trade off to anybody that, uh, that can uh, help me out with an early one. So I heard there's one guy, uh, it was at the, um, uh, the Tessa roundup. I think you were talking to him yeah. or, or, or at her, but he's got 53 of them on order. Is that right? Yeah, actually one's got 53. Another guy's got 200 on order. 100. I mean, that's man. If they all come in at the same time, he might, <laughs> he might be willing to give up one or two of them. So, um, yeah. I, I'd really like to get one like real soon, as soon as I could possibly get it. I'd like to have one. Maybe, uh, maybe one of your <coughs> contacts there uh, who owns a Roadster uh, has, uh, has one coming up. Usually people are buying two or three at a crack. It's not one. Yeah. So. Well, you know, you've been doing this a long time, but <clears throat> it seems to me that if a manufacturer is proud of a product, that they would be willing to give companies like yours a product to do a teardown. Have you ever had that happen? We've been offered... Um, I turned it down. Uh, the reason for that is it's very difficult to be um, uh, unbiased if um, yeah. if somebody gave you something. So we kind of steer clear of that kind of stuff. Um, but we've been offered uh, by a couple, three European companies. Um, and uh, I, uh, I don't want to lose the what credibility we got. I don't want to toss that out the window. Um, however, yeah. however, if Elon said, Hey, Sandy, you want one? <laughs> you watch how fast all that credibility shit goes out the window. <laughs> as long as I can say whatever I want, um, he, he'd be the only one yeah. that wouldn't, he'd be the only guy that may not have any strings attached, but I, uh, I, I'd really like to get one. And, uh, I know, Half the planet wants to know, you know, is it as good as everybody thinks it is and stuff like that. Um, I'm personally thinking that um, the reason it's so late to market is because they they did so much, um, I don't know what you'd call it, extra safety work and whatnot. That one that was left at the side of the road had things, markings on it that said it was from New Zealand. So in this time of the year, that's the only place you can get where it's really cold is like way, way south yeah. in, uh, in New Zealand or Tierra del Fuego in, uh, in uh, South America. And even then, it's not, Tierra del Fuego is cold, but not really cold. The only other spots in Antarctica, and I don't think you're allowed to do cold weather testing there. So the best thing you can do is go to the, down to the lower tip of uh, New Zealand, uh, like the southern tip and um, in the wintertime. <clears throat> and it gets plenty cold down there, I'm told. I've never been there when it was cold, but uh, but um, it, it's it's the spot that everybody uses in the wintertime. You know, I suppose if that was a situation where the manufacturer was so proud of their product that they realized you were going to give them glowing reports, um, and you wrote into the contract that you had complete freedom to, uh, you know, assess it and give an honest appraisal. Even with all of that in place, I think that it would still affect your reputation or your credibility because people would immediately assume that you're being biased because you were given a free vehicle, basically. Mm. Well, <clears throat> um, at the end of the day, um, you know, we do... Uh, we do get, uh, not cars, but we do get other things that we've looked at <clears throat> and we were allowed to, uh, we got them because you can't buy them. They're not in the marketplace yet and whatnot. And we've given unbiased opinions on what we saw and, and did. And that's, we have contracts that, that will, you know, provide for something like that if it's not in the marketplace. Uh, right. So testing different kinds of battery chemistries or technologies and things like that, things that mm, you know you you can't buy them, and um, yeah. and that that truly is uh, something that um, that's the only way we can uh, keep ahead 
But the contract is very explicit. If this turns out to be shit, too bad. We we right. can't help out. Um, you've given it to us on the uh, pretext that we can say whatever we want, and uh, and we will. And so some people know about that. Most people know. We'll usually say, hey, we got this from XYZ, and we'll go from there. <clears throat> and so far, that's worked out just fine. Um, a couple of times we were asked not to give the review because it was so horrifically bad. Um, and uh, you know what? Sometimes, uh, you know, you got to swallow hard and say, okay, we wasted four or five days testing something, and then we did a, a YouTube, and, and we looked at it and said, Ugh, we better tell these guys about this, and then we didn't put it up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've, we found uh, a number of things there. <clears throat> and then sometimes we got cars that uh, they came from somewhere else, um, sometimes, a, uh, sometimes a wrecking yard or whatever, and we've torn those apart and went, oh, my God. Uh, so we, what we did was, in order to not look like we're out there chasing ambulances, we took all the data, packaged it up, sent it to the highest-ranking guy we could find at whatever that company was, and said, you have a problem. And that's, uh, mm-hmm. well, we've, we found two cars like that and uh, a number of other uh, battery-powered uh, products like bicycles. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not interested in having uh, anybody's death on my conscience because I found out something and didn't say anything to the ro- I'm, I won't be a, you know, I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but I am going to tell them, hey, you know what? You have a problem. You better fix it. And I mean, like, right this very second. Or we'll take it to Nishta. Yeah, again, you know, you see um, fine craftsmanship at times, and then other times you just kind of shake your head and you say, they use drywall screws, you know, to fasten up body panels. <laughs> and, um, you know, jerry-rig this and, uh, you know, steel cable or wire to, uh, you know, hold things in place. Um, oh. Yeah, there's, there's, there are a wide range of skills out there. And, uh, you know, what I'm always telling our guys, our mechanics is, you know, the work that you do is a testament to your skills. And at some point in time, someone's going to look at that. And what you want to have them say is these guys are first class. They are right. craftsmen. Yeah. And then, of course, like you say, um, you know, these are four to five thousand pound missiles that are hurtling down the freeway at 70, 80 miles an hour. And yeah. you don't want to be that guy that cut corners and a family died because you got to live with that the rest of your life. Exactly right. I, uh, uh, we, we have uh, our hiring uh, techniques here is uh, it's hard to get into Monroe, and uh, but it's easy to get out if you um, if you don't if you don't do what uh, you know we think is the proper job for the customer. Um, uh, at Monroe, I don't know if I want to go into, but anyways, at Monroe, if, um, if you are called out by another associate, um, he can fire you, he or she can fire you. And we've had that happen in the past where, uh, some guy came in on paper, he looked great. Then he worked with, uh, one of our guys and they said, uh, uh-uh. uh, and, uh, that was the end of that. And we've had we've had that happen quite a few times. Actually, not so much lately because we're our screening now. We've got a HR person, and our screening process is quite good. But in the past, we've had a couple of surprises that we just couldn't abide, and uh, and so consequently, they went um, they went away. Yeah. We've got a number of um, EV manufacturers now, uh, more than ever. It seems like. And, um, you know, the goal here is to get the fossil fuel burners off the road. The planet's in trouble, and uh, that's one of the uh, simplest ways to do it. And um, so many of them are struggling. Um, You know, you see the cash burn that just um, uh, the majority of them are suffering from that. Do you have any advice or any thoughts about what they could do to uh, improve their uh, sustainability and um, 
their their uh, their future survival. Well, um, in in a lot of cases, what they do is they try and solve all the problems themselves, and uh, that's not a good plan. The best thing you can do is go and find people that can help you. Sometimes that means tier one or tier two suppliers. Um, sometimes it means that you go and talk to somebody that you think is your enemy, but really is your friend. Um, sometimes um, I, this is going to sound like an ad, but, uh, but uh, sometimes it's really a whole lot simpler. If you find somebody who's knowledgeable and does it for a living, like helping people make money, <clears throat> go and see one of those guys. And there are plenty. I'm one of them, but, or Monroe's one of them. But, uh, but there are a lot of very good places. Well, you're, you're one of them yourself. I mean, at the end of the day, um, if somebody came to you that was creating a new vehicle, would you have anything to tell them to avoid or something to tell them how they can help out? I'm positive the answer is going to be yes. You, you've got a wealth of information. And in a lot of cases, people will struggle and I mean seriously struggle. And and then finally, uh, they wind up in a situation where they're flat on their back and they have no other choice and then they phone somebody. Well, just find out if somebody can help us. And and the next thing you know, in 10 minutes over the phone, they're, they're moving in the right direction. Or at least they know who they can count on that can help them out. And that's that's one of the big things. The The worst thing... Like, I, I throw a lot of rocks at MBAs and this, that, and the next thing. But at the end of the day, I am an engineer, and I know deep in my heart that I can do anything. Doesn't matter what it is, I can do anything. And when you have that kind of attitude, you're doomed for failure. I, I have learned over the years that I can do some things, and I can do even fewer things really well. Uh, but I can't do everything, and... So going to find people that help you, that can help you, is a really good idea. And that's why when I, I'm totally befuddled, I walk out into the plant and I talk to guys out there. And the next thing you know, um, I feel, you know, humbled, but I can talk like a genius. Why? Because I asked somebody else. I went, I went and checked out, um, I went and checked out what, what's out there and and quite frankly the same thing is true with the the personal contacts i have hey i'm banging into this what what should i do it's good to go and talk to other people and get their opinions and like i say anybody that anybody that's in the um new car development area i mean you can see most of our stuff on youtube but i think banging on your door would be a no-brainer. That's what that's what people need to do. They need to go and find someone who can help them. And I think uh, I think Gruber Motors could be one of those one of those spots. So that's why I, I wanted you on uh, this podcast was because, quite frankly, I think you've got a whole lot more to offer than just fixing fixing people's out of uh, out of warranty products. I really do. I really think that um, you're more people should be banging on your door. Well, thank you, Sandy. Yeah. You know, to some extent they do. And uh, everybody wants to be in the independent EV repair space currently. And they ask if we can franchise, if we can train, if we can provide internships. Yeah. And uh, the problem that we have is we're so busy taking yeah. care of Tesla Roadsters and the, uh, you know, the legacy Teslas. Um, you know, I would love to scale build bricks and mortar around the world, um, you know, replicate and uh, scale what we're doing. The biggest problem we run into, though, is lack of manpower. Um, it's very difficult to find people that have the skills, the broad range of skills that we need in the independent space. Working for an OEM is much simpler because you've got a huge parts room that's going to support you and you can do basically the process of elimination type repairs where you swap it until you fix it. In our world, that isn't the case. We have to repair stuff right down to component level 
And that requires three distinct skills, software, electronics, and wrenching or mechanical skills. And to find that in one package has just been daunting for us. Mm. Well, here's, uh, here's the biggest problem we've got in the United States. <clears throat> Teachers hate anything to do with anything but what they know. I went to a technical high school. Uh, they closed all those down in, uh, in Canada. Oh, no, no, we don't need that. We need everybody to be fine arts. Yeah. yeah we need uh, nothing but collegiates so they can go to university or they can go into the arts. Okay, fine. What did it do? Well, it threw Canada behind the bus, under the bus. Um, and now uh, they say, oh, well, we don't want trade schools. Let everybody go to high school and get a basic really good, really good education. And then, and then they can go to a college and not be taught by tradesmen. Who wants that? No, they'll be taught by other teachers. And that's what happened to me. And that's when uh, I, I got out of a trade school. I walked in and they, after I'd gotten my journeyman's ticket, and I walked into a, a college, and I couldn't believe it. Were these guys educated? Oh, yes, no question. They had teacher certificates, all kinds of stuff. Did they know anything about fixing cars? No. Did they know anything about machine shops? No. Why? Well, because they're collegiate trained, not technical trained. And we have a huge problem here in that you've got, you've got these scientist kind of guys up here, and then you've got these collegiate people down here, and I'll, 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 I'll tell you that there, there is a need for some of that stuff, but the gap in the middle, this gap right here, where we used to be the strongest on the planet, is depleted. And unless you have the luck, and by the way, that's another thing that's being controlled by the government now is oh, wait a minute, if you want to take a trade, oh, you have to go to a college and be taught by real professors. Why? <laughs> why is that? Why, why aren't we still taught by tradesmen, people who actually did the job, knew the job, who could, who could project every, any kind of a problem you could have, he knew the answer to. Yeah. And, and that's where we've got a problem. It's universities make a lot of money and that's all they're really interested in. They have to afford the, the, the football scholarships and whatnot. That's where they get it. Yeah. Uh, they, they milk uh, students like cows. You know what? I should probably not go into that because a lot <laughs> of people. You went on a rant, Sandy. That's okay. Eh, it I happens. It, all the time. it happens every <laughs> once in a while. But, but I will tell you. No, that's that, something else. That's something else we share in common. I went in Rochester, New York. I went to a technical high school, and there weren't any others in New York State. It was called Edison Technical and Industrial High School. And in um, ninth grade, you sampled about nine different trades, from welding to photography to auto repair to electronics to electrical installation. And you know what? That education sticks with you the rest of your life, even yeah. though you picked a major eventually. For me, it was electronics. And um, yeah, you're right. We've, we have lost that. And the people that were teaching us weren't professors. They weren't educators. They were tradespeople. The welding instructor was a journeyman welder. The electrical guy was a journeyman union electrician. Right. They didn't have any kind of personality to go with it. If you did something wrong, they'd come up to you and swat you upside the head, you know? I mean, a plumber or a truck driver makes a lot more than a Walmart greeter. Everybody says, oh, right. well, we've got to have blah, blah. No, we don't. What we need to have is, is more technical high schools. And by the way, the high school that I went to in Windsor, Ontario, Canada was called W.D. Lowe Technical School. I am a low-tech grad. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. I usually bring, I used to bring that with me. I, 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 I was the second in the school. It was a big, it had a lot of graduates. Anyways, a uh, thousand, I think. I used to bring that thing with me because I was second out of, uh, they, they picked uh, the top five or something. And, and I was number two, and I used to bring that thing, and I had a, 
a slide that would pop up and I'd say, thank you for your attention. And, um, and I just want to recommend, <laughs> recommend my school as WD Low Technical. I am a low tech grad. Thank you very much. And then I would walk off the stage. With, I mean, it was great. I didn't have to answer any questions. Everybody plotted. Everybody was laughing. It was a good deal. I, I just, I, I could just get out, you know. Holy mackerel, we've deviated. Oh, my God. We're going to yeah. going to have everybody we're solving weeping. all the problems in yeah, the world now. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we should probably save some of this for our next podcast uh, journey. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, again, we have an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come out and see this uh, yeah. this auto shop of the future. And, and oh, yeah, the roadsters. You know what? Um, everybody asks about those three Chinese roadsters, and maybe I can just interject oh, yeah. quickly. Yeah, absolutely. A quick yeah, that was one there. of my questions, but I, we didn't get to it. We okay. would, went off into left field here. Yeah, can you give us a, so, some upgrade there, some update? Yeah, so, so um, uh, the latest is they were moved into 20-foot sea containers instead of 40-foot sea containers. And instead of going to Dubai, they are on the boat right now headed for Long Beach, California. They'll be arriving the 26th of this month. And our CFO and his team are helping with some of the customs paperwork. And right now it's looking like that's going to be about two or three days. So those things will be put wow. on semis fairly quickly. And uh, they will be here, it looks like, the first week of September. And uh, once they get here, what we're going to do is have a, a second media event. If anybody wants to come and witness the opening and unsealing of these sea containers. But what we're most excited about is um, examining each one of those roadsters after 13 years in storage. We're going to uh, fire up the 12-volt uh, systems and look at the odometer readings and confirm that they are close to zero miles. We don't think they're exactly zero because when they build cars, they have to do a little bit of test right, driving, yeah. right? Well, it's uh, you still have some driving on all cars. No, no car is zero, ever, never. Yeah. So we'll take a look at that. But the big unanswered question is, there's a faint bit of optimism that if the service plugs were pulled, which is the, the uh, connection on the big main battery pack, disconnecting it from all of the devices that could be draining it, we're um, r remotely optimistic or uh, cautiously optimistic that these batteries may be good. Now, it would be akin to putting 18650 cells in inventory and letting them sit there in your warehouse for 13 years. Will they last that long? And we don't know that for certain. Um, so anyway, it will be a fun event. Uh, we will be able to take them out of the sea containers. We'll then store them in our service center, clean them up a bit, and, um, and then go round two on the bids. Um, the bids so far, by the way, they started off low. It was $50,000 for all three cars. And uh, <clears throat> then eventually it got up to seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars, and now we had a wow. bid at two million dollars. Holy! And mackerel. it jumped from eight hundred thousand to two million. Yeah, and um, you know we did our due diligence and we we contacted this high bidder, and it looked plausible until just a week or, or yeah, it was about a week or so ago. It turns out that uh, what he was going to do with them was put them on the road which I am vehemently against. These are like Picassos that should be hung on a wall. It's like that fine bottle of Chateau Lafitte wine that's 150 years old, sold for $240,000, and no one's ever going to drink it because it's vinegar. These are, these are not cars, in my opinion, that should be put on the road and driven. They're to be appreciated for their close to zero-mile status and their survivors. And if Elon is listening, my vote on these is that Elon should buy them or his company, put one into every lobby in every gigafactory that they currently have on display to show the first Tesla vehicles and the, uh, um, as a debt of gratitude for the early adopters that helped Tesla actually survive. Mm. I don't know if you know this, but in the early days, Tesla was doing down payments uh, without delivering the product yet, just like they're doing with the Cybertruck and, um, and this, um, uh, the second-generation Tesla Roadster. That's a $50,000 down payment or prepayment. And, you know, <clears throat> I've talked to early adopters that freely admitted, 
you know, I didn't think the company was going to make it. They were on the verge of bankruptcy constantly, but yeah. I put my $109,000 down. And if I didn't get it, that was okay. Now, they were obviously wealthy people. You know, it wasn't your average person that didn't have much disposable income. But my point here being is there is some gratitude, a debt of gratitude that needs to be repaid to these early adopters. And this would be a great way to do it is to put one of these in every gigafactory on display so that all of the visitors uh, will see what the early days of Tesla were. Mm. And, you know, one additional perspective, the, um, uh, the World Traveling Roadster, VIN number 507, that in 2012 went all around the world. It ended up going to a museum in uh, Munich, Germany. Yeah. They asked if they could have it for a year, so they gave it to him, or the owner, Raphael de Mestri. And after a year, they realized hundreds of thousands of visitors came to see this car, and they asked for an extension if they could have it another six months. And they did, and that's when it got bricked and died because they didn't charge it properly. So point being is these are very popular cars. They're the, this is the car that started the EV revolution. Granted, we had the EV1 in the last century. It got crushed. There were only about 1,500, but it didn't have the same impact as the Tesla Roadster, which not only survived, but then helped launch the next generation Teslas, which now are pretty much dominating the planet. Mm. So I'm going to get off my sawhorse here. Uh, that's my story on those three roadsters. Well, I, I'm I'm really enthralled with the fact that uh, that um, you know that you first off you rescued them, secondly that uh, that they're coming back home to the United States, and I don't know about the uh, putting them into the because I don't think that. Tesla gigafactories have so many, uh, too many tours, but the idea of putting them into a museum where somebody that knows what they're doing, not a collegiate person, but somebody who knows what they're doing so they don't get bricked and go dead, uh, that, that would be, I think, <coughs> truly amazing. I can't, I can't think of, I can't think of how many different, um, um, car museums uh that could be out there that would uh would i mean would kill for the, well, the uh, peterson peterson yeah, I mean, would the peterson, be my for example. first yeah. thing yeah I, I, jay leno's garage i mean at the end of the day any place that's got um you know a history of the automotive uh world i i i like i was thinking of peterson the henry ford museum I, I i mean they would die i mean i would love to i would go to the, I haven't been to the Henry Ford in a long, long time. I'd go over there just to see that, just to see that that vehicle, and and know that, hey, this is one of the ones that um, that managed to you know survive, and uh, and it's got virtually no miles on it. I I, I really yeah. think that would be a, another good venue, as it were. So maybe there's somebody out there with two million bucks that could buy these and then donate them to the museums and. Use it as a tax write-off or something. I don't know. <laughs> Never had that kind of money, but uh, I'm told that there are write-offs that you can make and and uh, and uh, reduce your tax burden or something like that. I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I I think it's like sixty cents to the dollar or something like that. But still, in all, it would be it would be a really generous uh, donation, I'm sure, and it would it would save these things from being. Mm, and bricked, um, like the ones in Germany. Or put back on, yeah, or put, you know, put back on the road. What I was telling some of these people that were bidding that thought, well, you know, um, what will it take to fix the battery? And I said, well, why would you want to if you're not going to drive it? They said, well, I am going to drive it. I said, you know, every time you take that car out, you're going you're gonna to feel terrible that it just depreciated ten to $50,000. It's going to be more and, than uh, that. At, at, at that rate, as soon as you take it and put it on the road, you're looking at 25, 30% gone. I mean, it's the same thing as any new, brand new car. How long does it take to get rid of 30% uh, of your uh, your investment? Well, wait a year. Overnight. That's pretty much <laughs> yeah. it, yeah. Uh, but anyway, this has been great, Pete. I really do appreciate it. Um, I'm uh, I'm glad we got the chance to go together. Uh, I I don't know when your um, uh, next, uh, I know that my September is pretty much on the road continuously, but maybe, uh, maybe you can do a, a really good, 
you know, YouTube video and, and I can watch what's going on. Yeah. No, you know, anytime, I mean, we're wide open. Anytime you want to come here, we'll make space for you. We've run almost an hour and a half for this podcast. Yeah. I yeah. don't think anybody was expecting it to go this long, but we always have fun when we get together. Yeah. And uh, as promised, when you do come out, we're going to, we're going to hoist a glass of Hefeweizen. Ah, now and, we're talking. Uh, eat some good German food. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bring on the Wiener Schnitzel. When the Spaka, yeah. when the white yeah. asparagus, jawohl. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been a real pleasure. I appreciate yeah. you and your team hosting me. And um, yeah, we'll we'll do this again, I'm sure, in the future. Absolutely. Auf Wiedersehen. Huh? Auf Wiedersehen. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye, everybody.